State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Mark Reeves, Trinity Mirror Midlands Editor-in-Chief on how regional and local journalism in the UK has transformed over the past 20 years. Let's begin. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very good indeed. That's good to hear. How's things on your end? I, I read that you guys recently started an offline campaign push for Birmingham Life. We did. It kicked off yesterday. It's it's a lot of uh, traditional media advertising. We've got the sides of buses in Birmingham. We've got poster sites. We've got interactive digital boards in the in the city centre. Some radio advertising and other kind of activity, which is which is good to see because. In my experience in regional media over over many many years, it's uh, one of the frustrations has been that launches or relaunches don't always get the marketing support that I think they deserve. But we might well have got this right this time, which is which is very encouraging for the team because they put a lot of work into it. That's awesome. It's uh, you don't usually see um, a lot of local um, publishers being, having the capability and push to, to do this. So it's really promising to see. I guess for those people who don't know much about Trinity Mirror Midlands and just about you in general, if you can provide a bit of a background just to start off with. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, the um, the, the holding group, the, our owners are uh, Trinity Mirror PLC, which is the largest publisher of regional media um, in the UK. It also owns a number of national titles, uh, as the name suggests, including the Daily Mirror, which is one of the UK's oldest tabloids. Uh, that is um, notable because it is more left-leaning than any of the other British tabloids that you see, like the Daily Mail or, or the Sun. But nevertheless, Trinity Mirror has recently acquired another national newspaper group, the Daily Express and the Sunday Express and the Daily Star, which is right-leaning. So that deal was done only very, very recently, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But my focus is on on the regionals. I've always worked in regional media, regional newspapers. And in Trinity Mirror Midlands, which is a sub a sub-business of Trinity Mirror. We publish three daily city newspapers, one here in Birmingham and uh, one in Coventry, one in Stoke, which are outlying sort of suburban uh, cities about 30 or 40 miles from from Birmingham, which is the regional capital, um, as well as a clutch of smaller weekly titles, some free, some paid for. And, of course, the web presence of all of those, all of those entities um, is where our focus is on more and more. In fact, I, I could say pretty much completely now, because that's where the where the future lies for us. I read as well that you guys are with Birmingham Live. You're you got more traffic than BBC. Is that correct? Like you have more unique visitors than BBC at the moment. Yeah, this applies to Before, a number, yeah, this applies to a number of Trinity Mirror titles. I think I'm fortunate to work for a group that you know has probably grasped the challenge earlier and better than many of our regional media rivals in that um, we've, we have a very um, robust growth strategy, strategy online. And so we can learn from our sister sites and sister businesses around the UK and cities like Manchester and Liverpool, Glasgow, Cardiff and elsewhere. And yes, when it comes to, to measuring the local penetration of many of our city titles, over the course of a week, we will reach 40 to 50% of the local urban population. And we compare that to 
what the BBC uh, claims to reach, and they, they, they aim to reach about 30% of the population over the same time frame. So we're very confident that in many of our cities we are outreaching the BBC, and we keep on getting better at that. Every every month or so we add new titles to that sort of um, role of honour uh, across the country, and that's because we've, over the past three or four years in particular, been really striving to get to create a network of scale by linking up all of the regional titles with with our national titles reach. And when all that's put into a basket, then, you know, we can claim, certainly do do say to advertisers, you, you know, we, you can reach easily more than 50% of any regional population through a combination of all our networks, which is really powerful. And I think it's essential as well, because so many smaller publishers and publishing groups coming from the legacy side, as we've done, so many of them struggle because... For us, I think we recognised early it was only ever going to be a game of scale. And I think for those smaller entities, and I've worked for many in the past, it's really tough. It's really, really tough. And I've just seen one of the groups that I used to work for up in the northwest of England has recently been sold to NewsQuest, which is the UK arm of Gannett. And I think for good reason. And I hope uh, I hope that means that they'll those titles will survive for longer. You've been, let's take a step back though, you've been with the Trinity for quite some time and does it even a... Uh a period where you left and then came back. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got you've got that background where you've seen the progression from Trinity from Birmingham Live and, and the Trinity Midlands titles go from online offline to online. Can you just elaborate a bit of the history around that and, and how the transformation took place? Yeah, I've been with Trinity Mirror for about twenty years, but I did have a break where I, I often say I, I, I left in a bit of a huff because and this was uh, about eight years ago. Um I was editor of the Birmingham Post, which was daily business-focused city title here in Birmingham. And I was, uh, at that point, I don't think Trinity Mirror or indeed many other regional groups were really grasping and facing up to the challenge of digital. It was at that period then that there was there was reticence, there was a bit of a King Canute approach, which is a combination of if we ignore it, it'll go away. And these changes aren't structural, they're just cyclical. I mean, we're seeing revenues dive after the 2008 crash. And too many in the industry thought they were automatically going to come back into print advertising. And I think I, I and many others could see that that wasn't the case. And there was a bit of a strategic vacuum, I think, to, to be fair. Um, so I left at that point in, in 2010. Uh, I joined, joined a digital startup here in Birmingham uh, to launch a a business news website that was part of a network of three cities in the UK. I launched and edited that, and I also got into political communications as well and, and very much enjoyed running my own my own businesses. But in 2013, there was a change of leadership in Trinity Mirror uh, with Simon Fox, who'd come in from HMV, and there, there, there was evidently a new energy and a new focus, and I found myself having conversations with old colleagues and very quickly found myself back um, back, back where I'd left just uh, three or four years previously. And since then, it's it's been a very, very intense ride to take these Prince legacy brands from the pretty underwhelming websites that we'd had for 10 years or so to start to position us as a, as a, as a digital first entity. And that's been driven in large part by my colleague, David Higgerson, who's the digital director of Trinity Mirror and a well-known name across across the world, actually, particularly in, in, in media. And that was a drive for best practice to 
structure our newsrooms and around roles that were better suited to to drive online engagement. And there's been some considerable success in that. I mean, we've quadrupled our digital audience in three years, um, as have most of the sites. And as I referenced, there was, you know, there were a number of restructures there because to use the cliche, you lose pounds in print or dollars in print and you get back pennies online. And with that reality comes comes a requirement to structure the newsroom that you think you can afford, not the one necessarily you would ideally love. So we've had several several rounds of, of, of that kind of exercise of restructuring. And most recently we've taken what I think is 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 the is the, the largest leap, which is to separate not completely but pretty pretty radically separate our print newsroom operations from our digital newsroom operations which in a way feels like back to the future because when we first started doing websites in the regional press we'd have a digital unit of strange people in the corner who did digital and no one else knew what they did or 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 got involved and over the years we've really pivoted around around digital news gathering and digital content first but when it came to really looking ourselves in the eye we realised that still our, many of our working patterns, our deadlines, the way we constructed stories, even our tone of voice was actually really, really rooted in the old ways of print, the old news gathering ways, the, the, the language of tabloid newspapers, the shifts and rotors were, were still, once you scratch the surface, they were still focused on our print deadlines, which didn't really make sense. So that was one reason to separate print from digital was was to genuinely liberate our content gatherers from the con, you know concerns about printing about filling newspapers but the other one also was probably a more ruthless recognition and that that is that the the ties between our digital and print operations were too close in that when and i think this is in, inevitable so it's definitely a win for me when more of our print products our print newspapers die or fall over, you know, fall over the cliff, as it were. At the moment, or before we started these changes, there are too many umbilical cords connecting our digital operations to our print operations. So therefore, if print went down that cliff, it would pull digital with it, unless we did something about it. And we, so that was another reason for the restructure. We created an entity that should print go, we believe would be on its way to being a self-sustaining digital newsroom. I call it a digital life raft. And, you know, so that's, that required again us to ask and answer the question, what's the size of the newsroom we can afford if if we were to have no print revenue or costs at all? And that's worked out looking at the size of our market. We're in a pretty big conurbation of two and a half million people. Looking at our current penetration, looking at where we could expect to get to over the next couple of years, and then working out what is, in, in essence, a pretty simple formula to say, well, what's the, what's the sort of programmatic baseline for that? What revenues do we think that size of audience, that number of page views? And we're, we're looking at about 40 million page views a month uh, this year, combining mobile, desktop and app, you know, growing to 50 and 60 over the next 18 months to two years. You know, so that will generate an amount of programmatic revenue, video pre-roll revenue, uh, remnant revenue, affiliate revenue, syndication revenue, added to which, of course, is the revenue that we can dig ourselves through commercial activities from the local market and the national market. And that 
the answer that came out of that is we can afford a newsroom of 31 people, which for a, a big urban, formerly evening newspaper that 20 years ago would have had about 180 to 200 people in the newsroom is, is quite a change. But it, it is definitely doable, and we are making what I think are pretty good strides to, to make that formula work. And as you say, we've, we've rebranded as well which if you like, I can, I can talk about why we've rebranded and launched our new website identity. I think it's worth noting because you, you created the Medium post, which got indicated that mine was pretty well received as well. So, yeah, you can. Yeah, um, as I've alluded to, the Birmingham Mail or the Birmingham Evening Mail, as it used to be called before it went switched to a morning print title, you know, served a working class industrial city for a number of years, 150 years, I think. And, and predominantly, you know, reflected the views and voices of what I call the white working class of, of, of Birmingham. Um, and my, 20 years ago, my predecessors realised that, that the city was changing dramatically. I mean, we are now the most diverse regional city in the UK. We have a black and minority ethnic population that is around 50 percent of the total population. You know, with diaspora communities from Southeast Asia, India, West Indies, Eastern Europe, all over the world. So it's a very, very different city than the one that the Birmingham Mail originally served. And because of that, the the name of the, the title on our website, I think, had served its purpose. I think a few years ago, it was important to reassure readers that, you know, the provenance of the news they were receiving online had the same family roots as the, you know, a familiar untrusted newspaper brand but such is the rate of change in our population and also that we've had a um, a decline in our newspaper circulation that has outstripped almost any other city in the UK and that that is I think because the population has changed so much over time we don't have those ingrained fam familial habits of always having the newspaper that your parents used to have that just doesn't apply to us anymore and therefore the value of associating a newspaper title with a with what needs to be a website serving what is not only the most diverse population in the UK but also the youngest median age of population in the UK it had served its purpose and there were some negative connotations as well because the title had been colorblind for a long time but not in a good way it had been pretty if not explicitly racist it it, it had it had not really wanted to reach out and include what are now, you know, major parts of our community. What do you mean by it? It was it's very, it was excluding people with the name Birmingham Mail. Yeah, it, there were negative associations with the title because the, 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 the newspaper for so many years hadn't actually reflected the, the, the experiences and the interests of our growing ex-Pakistani or Indian communities. And therefore, not only was it not known, there was a negative connotation with it. The other connotation is a newspaper brand online, even if people aren't familiar with the precise values of that brand, by saying you're a newspaper, it sort of restricts in a way what you are, to an extent, allowed to do in that, and, and many other news brands will have this, people will see see you sharing information or, or presenting material in a certain tone of voice or celebrating you know, non-news events and accuse you of having a slow news day because it's not what they recognise as news. 
whereas it's our job to reflect all the different community activities and events and interests of of our population. So going to a non-newspaper brand allows us to do more, I guess, more showbiz, more conversational, more social-based content than than the previous identity had sort of constrained us in. And also, finally, it was a chance to reinvent ourselves and go, you know, and try to make a statement to the city that Birmingham Live is is a brand that's for you. It can it, it reflects the city that you're part of and gives us a chance to make some some serious noise about it, as I said earlier on with the marketing campaign that we're in the middle of right now. You know, and and try to get people switched onto it who might not be switched onto it. Which uh, which I think we've got a very good good chance of doing. I mean already we you know we do have you know, we do reach on average about fifteen percent of the population every day, about forty-five to fifty percent of the population every week. But I don't want to rest on those laurels because it means that on any one day, there's you know at least seventy percent of Brummies, which is what we what we call people who live in Birmingham who aren't um, engaging with what we do. So we are. I wanted to ask you about that. What does Brummy mean, actually? Like, where's the name? <laughs> Colloquial term from the last uh, no, the uh, two centuries ago shortened Birmingham to to be pronounced Brummagem, which I know doesn't make a lot of sense, but not a lot of things make sense in this city. So so people refer to the city as Brummagem and then shorten that to say anyone who lives in Birmingham are called Brummies from the Brum part of that. So it's um it's quite useful for headlines actually because Birmingham's too long a, a word to fit into into a decent social headline. So Brum sort of digs us out of that particular hole on on many an occasion. So with Anyone who's new, sort of new to local journalism, what do you, what is the principles and um, you know laws around local journalism now? You mentioned some of it around trying to capture what what's going on in the community and everything else. But what do you, what's the fundamental root principles of local journalism? I think it's um, so. Probably need to talk about the distinction between local and regional journalism and what we call in the UK national journalism. And I think there's there's quite a there's quite a big Gulf. I've only ever worked in local and regional media. I've never, I don't think I've really wanted to work for the national media. And I do think they, they have different approaches, characterised mostly by the fact that a local journalist can't go back to London at the end of the day after parachuting into a city, getting the story and getting out again. There's, there's a consequence of the stories that we do locally. That means I think you, you genuinely need to care about the city or the, the town or the place that you're serving because you're part of it. You know, your family will be going, you know, will be doing, going about their business in, in, in the city. Your kids will be going to school with the kids of people that you've written about. And I think there's a, I think that changes the nature and the focus of it. I mean, the, you know, the, the story is the story and it's always important to get the story. But I think in local journalism, that sits within a context of, is this helping this place become a better place? You know, you're more conscious, I think, of your civic responsibility and I think, therefore, for young journalists wanting to get into it, there's no doubt that there's massive excitement. There's a real buzz. You know, we're a big city. That you know, we've got lots of breaking news, lots of incident-based activity and journalism. We do big, chunky investigations. Uh, we hold the city powers to account and all of that. But there's also a, a real joy to be had in the smaller elements of life. And I think that's that's important for regional journalists to to, to know that it's part of your job to celebrate you know, smaller community successes, how schools perform in the educational league tables, sharing that information with people is, you know, how, you have to get as much of a buzz out of that as you do out of the, the bigger set piece news events. 
because you've got to offer a whole and a complete service to as many people in the community as possible because that's your job. I think the other things that are developing are, uh, I mean, clearly, you know, we have a massive focus on video and we're doing more and more podcasting. We're telling many more stories through data journalism. So, you know, for young people coming in today, it's not that we take it as read that you all have those technical abilities, but nevertheless, they, they're an essential part of the role. You know, we do have much more longer serving members of the team who are complete masters of all of those, all of those techniques. But to be honest, they probably struggle a bit more than, than people who are coming in fresh from college or from other sources. And I think the other challenge, probably more for us, and, it, and it ref- this touches on the diversity issue that I talked about earlier, you know, given that Birmingham has such a diverse population, I can't, hand on heart, claim that my newsroom is a representation of the wider community of Birmingham. Compared to other newsrooms, it's pretty diverse, but that's that's not my measure. It needs to be a measure of of the community. So as we've launched Birmingham Live, I'm looking to probably fundamentally disrupt our normal recruitment processes because the journalism colleges in the UK tend to put out people who look a lot like people who are currently in journalism, white middle class people. And that, that's that's not completely the rule, but it's it's pretty much the product that the or, or the those are the ponds that we go fishing in for talent. So I'm going to I'm going to work more with colleges in Birmingham to open up our newsroom to more informal opportunities to more people from more, you know from different backgrounds and try to create new routes for people who may not have journalism in mind right now, but they might be fantastic at telling video stories and they don't even know that that's actually journalism. They might have great graphics skills. I want to find ways of getting those younger people into the newsroom and then helping them complete a journey to become a qualified journalist if that's what they want to do. Do you have that initiative in place now or is that something you're planning to do this year and onwards? By the end of this year, I want to get two new um, paid internships or apprenticeships set up. And there are various organisations across the city and nationally that can support us in doing that. I know I'll get sponsorship from Trinity, Trinity Mirror to do it because as a group, we're much more aware of, of these challenges and issues. But a lot of it is good old-fashioned getting out and talking to lots more people, reaching out to schools and colleges and encouraging more, more people to come in. It's, it's not going to be a quick fix because this is the product of many years of not doing it right. I think if we start doing it right, we'll, we'll be able to move the dial hopefully over the next couple of years and start to, to see a newsroom that better reflects the city. And I think that that's important important to say in you know in the context of what do you know what are we looking for in you know young journalists who want to come into regional journalism? We want people who who, who know how a city ticks. You know, one of the best qualifications I think is is for some is for me for me to find people who have lived, worked, been educated in in the city, and are really part of it, so they can bring their experiences to bear in in, in the newsroom. Um, I can provide the technical training on top of that if they have the 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 uh, the interest and the enthusiasm and the ability. That, that, that makes sense. I was just going to say, what's your current community engagement model now so that you can um, draw mm. more of the celebrations, the wins, potentially the opportunities to actually speak with people one-on-one about key issues in Birmingham? Yeah, um, in terms of our, of our journalism, as part of the Birmingham Live exercise and the separation of our print and digital elements, we've looked at our news and what's on 
content gathering and realised that because Birmingham is such a busy, bustling city, we have plenty of plenty of crime, plenty of accidents, plenty plenty of road closures, all that kind of stuff that can... If we wanted, we could do nothing but live breaking news all day with everyone we've got. But of course, that that's quite transient content and transient interest from, from readers. So we've split our content gathering into two disciplines. One is live and breaking news, and the other is what we call patch reporting, which is old-fashioned, each reporter having two or three beats or areas of interest uh, that they are responsible for developing and getting and creating f- closer connections with the community, but we've tried to be a little bit more deliberate in in choosing those those areas. It's part of the setup for the project. We we invested in a lot of uh, online research and questionnaires and focus group work, as well as a big data dive by our Trinity Mirror Data Unit, which who went in and scraped almost all government data and statistics about Birmingham and the wider region that, that it's possible to find so that we immersed ourselves in a, in a sort of a, a, a new way into all the facts and figures about Birmingham, some of which told us what we already knew, but others really underlined issues and trends that, that we needed to be more aware of so that we could then start to identify those patch communities that we, you know, we needed to better serve. And one example of that is our traffic and travel information tended to be focused on road and rail users because that's that sort of, you know, we could identify the, the hubs that people were coming into and the rail companies are really good at publicising issues and route, route delays and that sort of thing. But, of course, we looked at the numbers and we should have we should have known this anyway, but this is what I mean by having a number really point you in a new direction. Of course, the number showed that the majority of our readers actually use bus transportation to get to and from work and school every morning and every evening as well and since when we've we've really changed the focus of our traffic and travel coverage to reflect the daily experience of people who are using buses and that's that's a community that that exists particularly in two two different parts of the day and we've also identified other other big needs that we that we need to need to address being such a young city we we have a lot of young parents raising a lot of young children and there's a real community there that uh, that we've been serving actually for a couple of years through a, a, a reporter who covers our covers parenting and the new focus through our patch approach has, has really helped that take off to the point where we are running offline real life events with a really engaged community of young parents who who look to us to give them a place to go with their kids to interact with other moms and dads get discounts from local services, share information about raising kids in, in Birmingham. And that's been a real learning for us. So we're trying to replicate that in across different uh, communities uh, in the city. And also to be quite ruthless, if we identify a community, but for, for one reason or another, either the community isn't homogenous enough or reachable enough for us to do anything effective, we need to find other communities that are, because we do have limited resources and we need to we need to make sure those resources are focused on driving engagement with communities that um, that are reachable and, and effectable. And therefore, engagement is also a key part of that because our previous diet of live news didn't give a lot of... Um, didn't do much for us of time spent on site or repeat visit statistics, which are more and more important now than ever. However, our patch approach is showing that done well, people will engage and become much more loyal readers over time, which I think is the next big focus for us. After having achieved 
most of the scale we probably will achieve over the next you know there's a little bit of growth in the next uh, in the next few years but we've we've probably done more growth in the past three years than we, we probably will in the next three and therefore it's about the quality of the engagement with the readers that we've got because that's what advertisers value and to demonstrate that to an you know to an advertiser that the medium that you're offering offering up to them is one that has a loyal and engaged read readership is going to be good for our numbers with the patch approach that you, that you're taking and you and you mentioning that you have a limited resource at the time so across the broader team how how are you able to give journalists autonomy to decide okay for this specific interest or issue we need to do a live event around this story or how, how does that process work internally on a day-to-day basis um it it is difficult because as, as i say you know something live will always happen that every everyone wants to jump on and a news editor will get very excited about so we, we split the rotor it's a very distinct rotor you know when you're on a patch shift and hopefully you'll get a, a run of three or four days before you're then on a live shift we have a distinct team that, that manages all the live and breaking and they can only they can only call for help when when you have a really big shout, which is which is fine. Actually, most of the time they can contain and uh, and deal with all of the live breaking news that's happening. So, the if you're on a patch shift as a reporter, there is a a daily morning morning roundup to uh, so that you can discuss with the news editor in, in in a meeting what you think you'll be working on that day. There's an expectation that there will be you know three or four pieces of content which can be a, a linear text story. It could be a Facebook Live video. It could be a live blog on your patch, or it could be it could be a fairly, as I say, standard story. You're expected to file those, as I say, three or four times a day. Those, those ideas are discussed in the patch meeting with other patch reporters. Uh, ideas are developed, and then you go out and, and get on with it. And people have had a lot of support in terms of training on for online storytelling, sourcing sourcing stories and content ideas from by accessing trends data, looking at uh, social media data, and what people in your patch are searching for. So there's there's no shortage of of story ideas for patches. I think the the, the challenge is to focus on the material that will be most engaging, and for that each of the patch reporters has their own their own chart beat sign on so they can look at their content how it develops in the day and how it develops over time and 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 through that understand what's what's engaging the right communities in the right way and what people are dwelling on and, and reading you know people people do do have the time because we are trying to quarantine them from the distractions of the live news agenda and you know there have been a few a few successes in 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 that regard that uh that people have been able to to develop, and of course, success breeds success. I mean, one one example is, I mean, Birmingham isn't alone. I mean, so many cities around the world have issues with with people living rough, sleeping rough, or uh, homelessness in in general. But there's been a particular increase in Birmingham over the past year, and I think there's an interest in particularly the commuting community and people who who live and work in the city centre. Um, there's a concern there about about homelessness, and we tried to tell stories in a much more experiential way, which was to talk to homeless people and just let them uh, narrate their own stories. And that became some of the most engaging content that we've done for a long time. And therefore, we've we've gone back time and time again to start to look at the issues underneath homelessness to do more solutions-based journalism, but also to continue to talk to homeless people in order to give them a voice and 
we're finding that that is that is proving remarkably engaging content that our readers are hungry for and we'll you know we'll lead on from that into other campaigns around we have a growing demand for food banks in the city which i guess is one you know a, a different end of the spectrum from uh, to homelessness but nevertheless on the same spectrum and we we're already getting indications that that will be a um, a very engaged bit of activity for us over the next few months so how do you get that um, indication that it's going to be engaged activity do you mean by um the data that we get back yeah what what are you looking for like what are there like a specific uh, besides looking at uh page views or like yeah just top level metrics is there any other qualitative indicators that you're looking at yeah it's interesting i sound like the world's worst name dropper here but um uh i've been looking at a couple of conversations with jeff jarvis of, of um of nyu no uh, sorry cooney in in new york who um who's very interestingly is talking about that community impact metric you know does your journalism actually make actually make a difference you know and finding ways of putting that civic impact measurement alongside the other you know the page views time spent per visit and return visits and loyal and loyal loyal readers and at the moment you know unsurprisingly the only real measure of that is to increase dialogue with with those communities so i'm much more active as editor with various community activist groups in order to get you know what may be you know is in danger of being anecdotal uh, evidence but i think it's evidence nonetheless of the impact that we are having in that regard and i was at an event last week organized by by one such group that mobilizes community activists across the city in a very engaging very constructive way it's not a protest group of it by any means but it is an advocacy group and I was with a colleague of mine my political local government reporter who was introduced to somebody who who he'd written a story about uh, who had a a shocking social housing problem 3 months ago and he'd written a story about her let her tell her story and then we pressed the city authorities to do something about it and she was rehoused within 24 hours as a result of our story and um she gave gave my colleague a a big hug and you know re- it, so therefore it was really evident that we'd that we'd had an impact and indeed in the context of that that meeting with the community group that was celebrated very explicitly with with a number of people and i think that's that sounds pretty self-evident you know it's the stuff that we should be doing and maybe we have done a lot of that over the years but with reduced resources you know we have to be much more conscious of that and i think we are starting to see that see that bear fruit how are you managing that creating as much dialogue or creating as much impact as possible given like you said you have limited resources time and you, yeah how do you try to manage that um everyone works very very hard um i, I guess you, you just try to find the best the best uh, impact you can make i guess yeah and i think it comes back to uh, what i was saying about the qualities of local journalists you've got to care and i i've been attending a lot more to the general dialogue i have in the newsroom um it was interesting what coincided with the switch to the new way of working and the new website we actually moved moved offices from one that was slightly out of town to one that's in the city center is somewhat smaller than than the one that we were previously in but it's completely open plan and i took the decision that no manager would have any cubicle offices of of their own everything was hot desked everyone no matter what rank or department would be mixed uh, mixed in the newsroom to work alongside each other so i'm 
Uh, I don't have an office and therefore I'm either sitting on the news desk or one of the hot desks nearby uh, all day, every day. And therefore I'm having a much more natural and flowing conversation with everybody in the newsroom about what I think is the tone that we need to hit, about the things that we care about, the campaigns that we run, uh, what we're interested in, what values we have. I think that's so important. And you don't do that by scribbling on a flip chart and then sending an email to people. I think you've got to do it by being in in the middle of the newsroom with, with your team, articulating it as best you can and involving them in the conversation. So I think we've we've tried to address the general culture of a newsroom, which, again, in legacy terms, used to be very hierarchical, many-layered, status-oriented. You know, that wasn't necessarily the case even 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 uh, before we made this change. But we've tried to go even further with that so that people can feel part of that conversation about what values we have as Birmingham Live. And I think that's that's helping journalists make their own decisions because, of course, I can't make every decision about every story or indeed how every story is presented. I mean, we are publishing, if not quite, on a 24-hour cycle as near as as near as near makes sense. So you need, to, you need to trust that the people creating the content and making those decisions are tuned into the values that, that you think are important um, and have had a role to play in, in pulling those values together. Um, and I think that's, that ensures that the connections that they make and develop out in the communities are, you know, fit with what we want to do as a brand. I've also said to my team, I'm starting to see it come through, and this is this, this relates to the point about moving away from a newspaper brand and therefore having permission to do do different things in different ways. You know, I would very much like to see you know more strident personal voices coming through. You know, as they develop their patches, they'll become experts in areas. They are allowed to express views in my in my in my point of view, as long as they don't veer massively from the values of Birmingham Live. I think readers value that the individual insight that, um, that our journalists can can bring to bear, and I think that again will you know helps humanise the voice of of the website. What's your leadership approach, and how do you make sure like if there's other people who have opinions or might think that they have a better opinion than you do in terms of the editorial direction mm. that they keep in line with the culture? Of, of Birmingham life, the cultural values. Yeah, I think it. I think it's it, it's that continuous dialogue. Try not to have too many meetings behind closed doors where three or four managers will decide on a line on something. The new physical environment forces us to have more of those conversations in the open and in, and encourage reporters or anyone at any level to to feel part of that conversation. And I, as an editor, also I defer to the person in the chair of a particular role. And by, by that I mean, clearly we have a designated live news editor and a designated patch editor. And, you know, while I'll, I'll clearly be involved in conversations, I will defer to them because they're the person in the hot seat driving the driving the ship, as it were, every day. And they're, they're in that role because they're the best person for the job. So I won't interfere in the day-to-day um, because they are, the rotor says they're the person who, who who's making that decision. And entrusting them to do, to, to do that is really important. And then while we don't do a lot of um, post-mortem because we're, you know, it is a fast-paced environment and we, we don't have a lot of opportunity to, to look backwards all the time, when we do, we're just really open about what's worked and really open about what hasn't worked and say, so what can we learn from it? I think so, you know, such are the changes that we've seen 
over so many years already and we continue to see changes almost daily almost weekly in terms of you know what's facebook doing this week to help or hinder us has google done anything to change the algorithm are our readers um behaving in different ways are they interacting with different platforms in different ways um yeah, the best way of finding out the impact of that is to make a few mistakes along the way and then try to avoid those mistakes in the future. I think it needs to be a learning environment more than anything else. With with the network that you guys have now with other uh, titles and everything else, I, how do you go about leveraging that? And, and how do you, and what's the overall, in terms of the monetization model, are you, just, are you, is, are you still focusing more on advertising revenue or are you, I know you said that there's other channels like affiliates and everything else, but... Mm. what's your overall direction moving forward okay i'll talk about advertising in a second the 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 leverage of the network is is really important i mean a you've got best practice sharing what's working in one region sharing that lesson rolling it out really quickly in others straight away i think gives us a real edge for instance i'm i'm off to a conference next week a trinity mirror conference which is all about football coverage in a football uh, soccer is a major, major driver of our traffic, as you can imagine, given the, the, the profile of the Premier League and, and other leagues in, in the UK. And interacting with that football audience is a, is a particular science and an art, which gives big prizes if, if you get it right. And therefore, you know, we, 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 share, we share learning and uh, new initiatives very, very quickly. And, and next week's meeting is about consolidating all of that into looking to look at how we can take that to the to the to the next level, so that each of the, particularly the big cities with clubs like um, Liverpool and Manchester, and the teams that we have here in Birmingham, uh, you know, we are doing the best service possible for our readers because there's there's obviously a shared shared attributes to a football fan in Liverpool compared to one in Birmingham or in London. So so that's how we how we leverage leverage learning. Also, we have a daily call, so all. Trinity Mirror sites will have one person who dials into a daily call at nine o'clock every morning where intelligence is shared um, about uh, content that is trending overnight and online, breaking national stories, expected agenda pieces through through the day so that everyone has a heads up what their readers might be interested in. You know, I take the view that if half of my readers are interested in a story that's not specifically about Birmingham, I still have a duty to try to help them understand that story because they're my readers. And if they if they want to find it on our site, they, they should be able to. So we share we share that a very brief five minute call every morning that just sort of puts the puts on the radar uh, what's going on. We also from Birmingham actually we happen to run a trending video service for the whole of the group. And that's a small team of four people who looking at those store those wider general stories that may be trending in at any one moment that uh, local centres might want to be uh, covering for their readers. The video unit very, very quickly creates accompanying videos that can be used on any stories that are done locally on those issues. So they could be explainer videos about how how courts work, or we had a recent cold snap of weather in the UK a couple of weeks ago that really brought things to a halt. So a very quick a quick informational video about coping with the coping with the cold was used on videos that I think we viewed about a million and a half times across the group, which obviously helps our our overall overall reach. So that's how the group works together. In terms of advertising, yes, we are predominantly a advertising driven revenue model. I mean there are 
you know, there is a focus on on some alternative sources such as affiliates. We take some revenue out of the podcast network, uh, and that will grow over time. But you know, all of that fundamentally is still advertising based. We've experimented a little with football specific paywall paywall bound services, where to get a premium level of information on a Premiership club, people could could subscribe for to get that information. That was only partially successful. I think in all the markets that we're in, we face such competition from not just other media organisations, but bodies such as the police and local authorities. There's a lot of in, a lot of information to be gathered via social media that um, uh, you know clearly we we need and hope to add value to. However, the difference between having it in front of a paywall and behind a paywall doesn't seem to be working uh, for us at the moment. So therefore, our our model remains one of creating the scale across the whole of the Trinity Mirror Network in order to drive you know, significant national, significant regional campaigns supported by more and more self-serve smaller advertising accounts. Uh, we have a, a product called In Your Area, which is a bit of a local news aggregator that sits alongside our sites through which people can, members of the public can, can buy advertising for as little as 20, 30 pounds. Um, you know, which is effective in very, very small communities. That's yet to be completely proven, but it's it, it's one way that we're looking at trying to layer the advertising market right from hyperlocal all the way up to national and even international advertising. I think we're going to continue to look at, you know, what would be the options for any kinds of premium models. And I think that will probably, I think that's more likely to come from developing, for instance, our parenting group where we are, getting such a close relationship with a relatively small but super engaged community that already sponsors and partners want to be associated with because of the quality of that of that, um, of that relationship. If in that or in other, in other patch audience groups, we can develop similarly strong, strong relationships, I think that gives us opportunities to look at other revenue models through membership or through, you know, through sort of uh, paid access models it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all model, though. And in the regional media, and I think over the past six or seven years in the UK, a couple of groups have tried putting otherwise traditional local newspaper websites behind paywalls, and they haven't worked at all. So I think they didn't... I don't think there was an appreciation of the, of, of the completely different consumption habit of the online user compared to that of a newspaper reader. I think the failed experiments in the past, and it wasn't Trinity Mirror, but um, the failed experiments thought that it would be possible to replicate the the casual purchase or subscription-based print print reader model, subscriber model, by porting it directly online and pretty much putting up the same the same offers in the same way. Uh, and it just it just didn't work because, as we know, discovery of online brands is via such a myriad of of different routes. You know we. We get about 30% of our traffic from social, about 30% from search, another 10% or so from links and e-newsletters, and the rest of it you know, from, from direct, as it were, um, direct users. So it's a very small percentage of people who decide to come to a brand directly. And I think given that, that's a very small base to try to convert into a paid subscriber model because that's what you'd need to convert. And I think the numbers don't stack up on the regional media, media model, as it, though as it is right now. What do you think that the trends moving forward in Africa is um, 
Um, and you know, what are what are the 2018 and beyond initiatives that you guys have planned? It's really about the quality of the the relationships that we've got. We need to review all our patches very regularly, very ruthlessly. We need to look at that content that's engaging and that 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 isn't, and really respond very very quickly. And there's a paradox there because. I think it takes time to develop relationships with, with communities. So we're hyper aware that, you know, there's a risk that we'll be throwing babies out with bathwater. But, you know, we have to be constantly evolving and testing the model, challenging ourselves as to, as to whether we've got it right or not, and continuing to, to grow absolute scale as well as engagement. Over the next year, my focus is going to be on really driving Birmingham Live as a, as a brand that. And has quite a strident voice in the city that's active. I want a rolling program of community campaigns that makes us stand out and that people, you know, so that people know what our values are. And we're, that plan is coming together. We're launching a couple of things in the next month, one of which will be the food bank campaign. We want to collect 100 tons of food for people who need, who, who are in emergency need of that, you know, which is a massively ambitious target. But achieving that will, will make us stand out because it's all about, I think, recognition familiarity and trust and engagement with our with our audiences and we'll get nowhere if we don't uh, if we don't maintain that and grow over the next 12 to 18 months on the commercial side you know the challenges remain the big two you know google and facebook are gobbling up so many digital pounds we are we're bringing to market a couple of commercial products that are really interesting um, they allow advertisers of all scales to, to really access not just the Trinity Mirror network, but all those off-platform networks as well, the social networks and Google. So we're trying to sort of match match that offer, but in a much more locally locally relevant way with, a, I guess, what you call a locally driven programmatic solution uh, that is more efficient and intelligent than just a dumb programmatic solution. And that's that's showing some really interesting signs of, of um, picking the interest of, of, of increasingly bigger players within the regions you know we are really in you know bigger direct display accounts because alongside this editorial change my colleagues on the commercial and the business side have are in the process of restructuring their teams and roles in a way to make it to make them much more digitally enabled than they have done than they have been in the past so those two two strands coming together and hopefully adding up to something that um that makes a real difference is, is what we're hoping to achieve over the next 12 to 18 months. And the live model itself is already rolling out to other, other regions across the UK. The two other cities that I, I'm responsible for, Stoke and Coventry, both in this region, they, um, they will switch over to their respective live branding in, in April. And they have similarly uh, restructured their teams. They're in the middle of training and um, big data dives into their own communities right now. And that'll be that'll be interesting, and you'll see the live model rolled out in cities across the UK before the end of the year. I only hope that they need utmost success for those campaigns as well, because I'm sure they'll benefit from taking that live approach as well. Just to uh, wrap up, Mark, um, what's some advice, career advice that you'd give to professionals who might be looking to start, uh, they might be thinking, okay, I need to get to uh, work for a bigger publisher or national newspaper to to you know, to be uh, recognised in my career, or you know, if or, or on the flip side, if someone wants to really passionate about local journalism, what can they do to be successful in local journalism? I, I always say to people who approach me about either work experience or inquiring about jobs or training, 
I always say to them, you know, sending me a, a resume, a CV, as we call, call them here, sending us uh, that is okay. But actually, if you are serious about wanting to be a journalist, then you should already have content that you can share with prospective employers or colleges if you want if you're applying for courses and no one will expect it to be the slickest that it can be but whether it's a piece of written content on your own blog or if it's uh, video content on youtube or any other format of storytelling if you're serious about journalism you've got no excuse for not doing journalism yourself right now right right now you can you can go and create content no one's going to expect you to be word perfect or have production values that uh, that rival the TV stations. But if you say you're passionate about journalism and, and want to get into it, then you should have some. Some people say, "Well, I've not, you know I've not been able to get work experience." And again, my response is, create your own, your own work experience. Interview your parents, talk to your friends, create some content, and create your own little show reels or portfolios that will just show show prospective employers what you're able to do and moreover see if you can create an audience you know our our journalists now are as much need to be as focused as much on selling the story as they are on telling the story there's no point writing a story that nobody's going to read or watch or listen to so having created great content you've got to be able to demonstrate that you've got the ability to get it out to an audience of of any kind of scale and ideally, interact with that audience. I, I, I said to um, David Higgerson, who's my senior colleague in, in Trinity Mirror, some time ago, that I think that my vision for the newsroom of the future is a newsroom of bloggers and vloggers, I guess, in that each journalist needs to be really, you know, really passionate and own their audience. They need to be champions for their particular community, and they, they need to behave as if there are one person blog whose livelihood depends on on serving the audience really really well and i think if we can get to the point where our newsrooms resemble a uh, a confederation of bloggers all really focused on their audiences i think we will go go a long way to ensuring that regional journalism survives and thrives into the future and therefore that's the those are the kinds of people that i think will do amazingly well in this industry in the coming years i think it's an it, it's a it's a very exciting time to come in because we are focused on the future and on change and creating that future rather than hoping that the future would keep itself at bay and wouldn't come and interrupt our otherwise comfortable lives. You know, we're, we're now trying to really increase the pace, if anything, and anyone who enjoys that needs to needs to come on board. There is definitely a lot of things happening, and um, I agree with what you say. You have to think in your own hands. So, with, with that, Mark, thank you for your time. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time. energy on the go it's got to be five hour energy it works fast it works long it tastes good and with zero sugar and four calories there's nothing holding you back 
Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. Five-hour energy, energy on the go. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. 